bless the Lord together. Have you come to lift him up? Lord, we lift you in this place. We bless you. We magnify you, oh God, for there is none like you. Hallelujah. Let's give him a, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning as we begin this new year to bless the Lord, to praise him, to lift him, to magnify him. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We praise you, oh God, as we turn our hearts and our minds to you, Lord. Help us to lift you with all that we have. Lord, we bless you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We bless your name, oh Lord. Sing to him. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. And let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. And we sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. Oh, we sing with all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise, let praise arise, we'll see you break down every wall, we'll watch the giants fall, the fear cannot survive when we praise you, the God of breakthroughs on our side, forever lift him high, with all creation cry, God we praise you. It's a new year. It's a new beginning. A lot of people like to start new things, start new ideas, new programs, new uh, steps in their lives. There's a, um, a word in that uh, first verse, or the second verse, yeah. That faith be the song that calms the storm inside of me. This last year, a lot of storms been going on in people's lives. Not just COVID, uh, everything else that's going on in people's lives, the difficulties, people have cancer, some people are really, really sick. Um, it's time to begin a new year of faith, a new year of believing, a, a new year of not being afraid, a year of trusting in God, trusting in what He says, in His Word, not our words, not our thoughts, not what we think, but what God says. And we are trusting in God right now to do beyond what we think or imagine. Because he said it in his word. He will do beyond what we think or imagine. That means beyond what we even have thought of. So, oh God, right now, get us on that path of your word, on that path of your promises, on the path of the believing in what you say, Lord. And Lord, we just lift you and magnify you right now in this place. Let's do that together in this place. Let's lift our hands and honor his presence. Lord, we lift you, we magnify you. We glorify you. Now we step out in faith, a praise of faith, oh God, lifting you up, knowing that you are able to do far beyond we can think or imagine. And we bless you and praise you right now, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On the second verse, let's sing to him. And let faith be the song that overcomes the raging sea. Oh, let faith be the song that calms the storm inside of me. Let it rise, oh let faith arise, let it rise. We'll see you break down every wall, we'll watch the giants fall. 
supposed to be that we don't have to always have the activity going but our minds focused on him and, and a praise and a worship attitude so this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like we praise you we praise you this is what living looks like this is what freedom feels like this is what heaven sounds like
Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? So good to see everybody. I want to make a quick announcement. Our phase one payoff offering, um, I failed to call and remind people this week. Shame on me. So what I'm going to do is we're going to do it today. And we're also going to do it throughout this week if you want to give online. And we're also going to do it next Sunday, all right? So the way the phase one offering, payoff offering is going to work is as you walk out the doors this morning... On either side, you'll have the gold plates that we normally have out there. Just toss your offering in that plate, and, um, and they'll be sure to get that and designate it to phase one payoff. So even if you drop a $5 bill in there with no envelope, whatever goes in those buckets on the way out, or go into phase one payoff, all right? And then you can give this week to the phase one fund online on PushPay, and then next Sunday we'll do it again, and that will be the end. And so thank you so much for your giving that we know you're going to do to help us get this thing paid off very soon. Let's pray for all that are sick. We've got a lot of people that are out sick. We've got some with COVID right now, and so they need our prayers during this time that God would touch them. And, and also, Happy New Year to everybody. It was funny on Facebook, they have the little guy that's pushing 2020 out with the mean face. You know, he's just ready to get it out the way. Anybody feel like that this year, that you're just ready to... Push it on out the way and let's move on to something new, something different. Well, today we're going to talk about a new patch on an old garment. We're going to talk about something new, something new. Somebody need God to do something new in your life this year. I mean, you need him to do something new for you. I know I do. Let's go to Mark chapter 2 and verse 21 and read that really quickly. And I'm going to get right into the word this morning. I have been long-winded the last two weeks and I promise you I'm going to try to do better today. But I got a lot of ground to cover. No one sews a patch on unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. Now, I'm not much of a sewer, but they tell me that's the way it is. And if the Bible says it, I'll believe it, all right? I definitely don't know from personal experience. I've never sewn anything. I've tried to put a button on before and just quit, all right? I'm just going to tell you. Just too many strings going everywhere. I didn't know where to stop at or where to start at, really. There's something about a new patch going on in an old garment that just doesn't work. Leo Tolstoy said it this way. He said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. And the reason we don't think of changing ourselves is because, quite frankly, we like who we are, right? We are the best of the best. I mean, ain't nobody can do it like we can do it. Ain't nobody can say it like we can say it. And so because of that, we get in this mindset that we don't have to be changed. We don't need to be changed. We, everything about me is perfect. You know, Brian just saying, you're perfect in all your ways. And some of us are sitting there saying, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. I'm perfect in all my ways. Just ask my wife or my husband, and they'll tell us really quick, you ain't nowhere near perfect, honey. You're not. Only God's perfect. We learned that. But he says, before we can change the world, we have to first change ourselves. And there is nothing more exciting than change. But there is nothing more alarming and will give you a wake-up call like change will. I was looking up, there's even a phobia for change. It's called canotophobia. Anybody ever heard of that? Canotophobia. I got looking up phobias. There's phobias for crossing the street. Can you all believe that? I mean, there's phobias for spiders, uh, all these things. I could go through a list of them, but I'm not going to take time to do all that. But canotophobia is the fear of change. There are some people that are that way. They're absolutely afraid of changing themselves in any 
way. And change is a paradox in the sense that change is the pathway to progress. So we know if we change, we're going to move forward, right? But it is also the enemy of the status quo. Because if you're one of these people that are complacent, you like the way things are, then change is an enemy to that. However, we find that when we are willing to change, oftentimes that new things happen in our life. You can't have new things happen in your life or have a new experience without something new happening, some kind of change taking place. So we get so excited about the way that things could be, the possibilities of the way things could be. But yet at the same time, it's a paradox. Because at the same time, while we're saying, yes, God, I want to go a place I've never been with you before. I want to do things this year I've never done before. But then on the same sentence, we're saying to ourselves that we're comfortable with the way things are. And so it's a paradox. It's a, it's a struggle internally that we want to progress. But yet there's something in us that wants to stay the same. We are, we are kind of schizophrenic. Anybody ever, does anybody know a schizophrenic person? I mean, it can be scary when you're, when you're driving down the road and then they start screaming at you and they're happy one minute and the next minute they're angry. It's schizophrenia. So we talk about change and I think sometimes that we're a bit schizophrenic, even us as spiritual Christians. We talk about change, but yet we resist it with every bit of our fiber. But I learned this as a pastor. When you ask people the question, and this is for personal life, spiritual life, church, for your job, it doesn't matter. If you ask people the question, would you like to grow? Nine times out of ten, people are going to look at you and they're going to say, yes, I want to grow. But then when you ask them the next question, which is, do you want to change? Now, all of a sudden, there's a resistance that says, yes, no, no, I I don't want to change. I do want to grow, but I don't want to change. But they are one and the same thing. Because we learn that without change, we do not grow. A matter of fact, to grow means to change in form and nature. It is much like that little baby that you had that at one point you held it in your arms. Me and the wife, sometimes we get amazed when we look at our kids and they're growing and they're getting taller and taller. And Branson's already surpassed her and he's trying to to etch up on me and my height. And you see them as they grow. And then you pull out a photo album or your phone or a Facebook saving pictures that you have through the year. And you begin to look at them when they were just little things. And you were holding them and you realize that change has happened. You didn't even mean for it to. At times you didn't even want it to happen. But the change continued because your child was growing. They're changing in form. They're changing in nature. And so this child, all of this baby becomes an infant and a child. And then he grows through adolescence, becomes a teenager. And then next thing you know, you're like Brian and Susan and you've got an empty house most of the time. It's The struggle is real, folks. The struggle is real. And you don't even realize change has happened. It happened so quickly. Where did the years go? You understand with me that it is the same way in our personal lives. It is the same way in our spiritual lives. It is the same way in our church life. That if we refuse to grow, we refuse to change, we will not grow. But the moment that we decide we are willing to change, it is at that moment that growth will begin to take place. You see, I think about Jesus so often because when Jesus began his earthly ministry, ministry at the age of 30 years old, his presence absolutely threatened the status quo of his day. A matter of fact, the status quo of religious tradition. They had their traditions. They've always went by Moses' law. They've always done it Moses' way. His two parables on change, and I won't read them for time's sake, but it's in Mark chapter 2 and 21 through 22 and then into chapter 2. As a response to his critics, He claims to forgive sins. When he claims to forgive sins, he's accused of blasphemy. He is criticized in verse 16 and verse 18 of associating with sinners. He was called for his disciples not fasting. He was in verse 24. They told him that he was breaking the Sabbath because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. And you're not supposed to do that. That is what their tradition taught. Jesus' change flipped the religious folks' world upside down. 
down. He absolutely wrecked the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he came because he showed them really quick like that he didn't do things like their father Abraham did. He did not do things the way that Moses did things. He did not do things the way the Pharisees did things. But Jesus was bringing a healthy change to his kingdom. And there's times that healthy change is a good thing for all of us. Can you say amen? Even though we may resist it. So Jesus says to us in this scripture, it's his words, not mine, that no one takes this new patch... If you're in your right mind anyhow, you don't take a new patch and put it on old blue jeans. Because you know that eventually it's going to tear and the rip is going to be worse than before. So in other words, if you got your right mind, what do you do? You change pants. You go out and you decide it's time to buy a new pair of of pants, And that's what God is trying to show us. That we try to patch up things sometime. Instead of just letting God do something new in our life. As we try to hold on to it. So what Jesus is really saying. Is that God is doing something new. Now when God does something new. It means that the old is over. The new is not a renovation of the old. A matter of fact. Now, now please understand me. And I want everybody to grab this because sometimes when you preach sermons like this or teach things like this, people take it out of, out of term that you intend it to be taken in. And so I want to be very clear. We build on the old. All right? We build on the old. And I want you to understand. when G if, Listen. There's people that are trying to get God to do a new thing and they're taken away from Scripture. They're not doing what the Bible says. And they oh, this is a new thing that God's brought. Let me tell you something. If what we're doing that is new is not founded on the Word of God, then brother, we need to get rid of it right now. Because the foundation, please hear me, the foundation is Jesus Christ. He has always been the center of all things, the center of the universe. He continues to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He should be the center of all things. He's the foundation. That is why whenever you buy an old house sometimes, you may tear out the old walls. You may rearrange it. You may lay the floor plan out differently. It may have been a one bath house when you bought it. But as you renovate it, you turn it into a two bathroom house. You know what I'm saying? It's new, but you still are building on the old foundation. So please don't misunderstand me today. Everything that we do must be on Jesus Christ. But what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees of his day is that he was not going to fit in their box. He was not going to do it exactly like they wanted him to do it. I will not conform to your traditions just because your father Abraham or Moses said to do it this way or that way. I'm doing something new that you've never seen before. Look at Isaiah 43 with me. I love this verse. I read it to you guys Wednesday night for you that weren't there. He said, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Do you know that's a good statement for us today? I don't care if it's past sins, do not dwell on, on, on the forgiven sins. Get rid of them. They're in the past, let go of them. If your life, if there's things in the past that you've done or, or things that have happened, he says, forget about the former things. Let those things go. For see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can you not see it? So God wants us to understand that change is coming. Now I want you to look at the first part. The creativity of change. Creating change. When God called us, He said, I want you. When He made Adam and Eve, I was reading it just yesterday. He told them, be fruitful and multiply. And everything in the earth will be subdued to you. All of a sudden, change awakens our unlimited potential. You know, until you take a risk, you never know what's going to happen. You know, I think about people that have even become millionaires in their life. They took a risk. Some people just decided, you know what? We're going to take this $10,000 and we're going to invest it and we're going to do this. And we're just going to take a risk. There was other people that wouldn't do it. They were scared to do it. But the timing was right. And they put it in right at the perfect time. And now all of a sudden their 10000 turns into 100000 And God begins to bless it. But somebody has to be willing 
to take the risk. Can I tell us it's the same way in our lives? Sometimes we can get comfortable where we are. It can be a job that you've been doing for years and God says it's time for promotion and you're sitting there saying, I'm scared to make a move. I can't do that, Lord. I'm comfortable where I am. What you are doing, you are not willing to take a risk. But if you'll take a risk, you're going to see that God is going to bless that. You will never reach your true potential that you possess until you are willing to awaken the creativity of change working inside of you doing something you've never done before please understand with me there is one thing that I do not want to do I do not want to live to be an old man and look back on my life and live in regrets of what I could have done, of what I could have been, of what God could have done through me if I'd have just took a risk, if I would have just had faith to believe that God was going to make it work. If, I don't want to look back in regret. Do you? I don't want to. I, so, so, so we replace the old. We don't repair the old. So some people work to repair the old when what they need is something new. We had a car one time, it was a Lincoln Aviator. We loved that old car. I mean, it was just a super nice car. I loved it, man. One of my favorite cars. But the thing started breaking down. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about if you drive an older car? It starts breaking down. We get it fixed, breaks down. Get it fixed, breaks Until finally some things start happening in the electrical. If our mechanics in here, they understand that when you get into those electronics, buddy, you're talking about money, it can cost you a pretty penny. So, Scott, we come to this place that we say to ourselves, do we continue to repair and replace the old or do we buy new? It was at that moment that we decided replacing and repairing is not good enough. We need something new. And that's exactly what we did. See, we've got to understand that we've done it in our churches for years and years. We have done things the same way and the same pattern and, and everything that makes us comfortable. But maybe God is telling us to quit patching up and repairing old things. Maybe God is saying that I'm wanting to do something new among you. Maybe God is saying there's a new ministry that I won't start it among my people. Perhaps it is what we preached about. Perhaps it's, as, as, you know, this, this past week we... We talked about many different things uh, this past Sunday about being the church that God wanted us to be, the order of the church. And, you know, my mind got to wondering, and I've had people call me this week, which is great, and I'm going to be getting back up with you this coming week when we get back in the office here. But some people just excited, wanting to do things. And one of the things that I believe God wants us to do, and, and I believe that God's going to help us to have somebody that has a burden for this, but I believe that God's going to help us to, to look after our widows and our widowers. These are things in the scripture that we need change in. You understand? That's good change. It's biblical change. It is foundational change. It's the basic things. We're not talking about nothing crazy. But we're talking about taking just doing what the Bible said. Because the Bible said that true, genuine Christianity, our religion, undefiled before God, is taking care of the orphans and the widows in their affliction. So God has called us as a church. These are the type changes that our churches need. It's not necessarily another small group that goes bowling on Tuesday nights. We need to make sure the changes that we make are good, sound, biblical changes that will literally grow the body of Christ. This is the change that we need. And, and so, <clears throat> the new is not like the old. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. In verse 9. Do you have 8 and 9 there? I didn't give you that one. That's fine. God clearly says, and I'll just read it here. He said, it will, this is speaking of the new covenant. He said, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers. So if you claim you've done something new and it resembles the old, then you haven't done anything new at all. It's just a newer version of the old. It's a patched up cloth it's a patched up pair of pants that are old with a new patch but the pants are still old it's not really new at all 
But it gives people the feeling of it, saying that they are experiencing new things without having to go through the painful process of actually creating something new. Because real change is not easy. Real change can be a painful process for us all. Attempting to create ideas and thoughts for change can absolutely be tiresome on leaders and on church people. It can be tiresome trying to create a good change in a congregation. It can. We learned that many churches try to start all kinds of... I know churches, you look at their website, and they are like 150 ministries. I heard a man say many years ago, he said, if you're doing something and it's not working, quit it. We, our traditions will not allow us to do that. Because we've always done it. But if it's not working, then get rid of it. And let's find something that works. That's called real change and that change hurts because it messes with our tradition and what we've always done that's exactly what Jesus does with the Pharisees that is why change is a painful process if God gives you a new job when you walk into your new job it's a painful process you worked with Brenda for 13 years now you met this new girl named Jeanette and you don't like her You talk about painful process, but as you work with them and you learn them and you grow into your position, all of a sudden you understand that the change, even though it was painful, God created something new in you and now you love it. You know you're in the will of God. See, all good things must come to an end. Endings are natural. Hebrews 8, 13, by calling this covenant new, He has made the first one Obsolete. That means he did away with it. And what is obsolete is outdated. And soon it will disappear. See this is exactly. Oh God have mercy. This is the ending. We call it the note of finality. It is when you know that it is over. It is Jesus on the cross saying the words. It is finished. It's finality. It is over. It is obsolete. And so what we're talking about here is you have to end something before you are ready to begin something new. So when you look at Jesus and the Pharisees, when He comes, what are they still doing? They're still offering lambs and rams and turtle doves and every other kind of animal that you can think of. Goats or whatever they can get their hands on. Pigeons. And they're offering them as a sin sacrifice. But Jesus Christ shook their world when He told them, We're not offering these lambs anymore. For the spotless Lamb of God has come. And once and for all, I'm going to die for you for the sins of the world. You're not going to offer another pigeon or turtle dove on this altar anymore. But now men and women are going to come to my altar. They're going to pray to a God that's real and alive. And His blood is going to flow down and change them and save them. The old is obsolete. The old covenant is gone. The new has begun. So change can be a very good thing. It was for us because we're going to heaven because of it. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put your old self, which is being corrupted by this deceitful desire, to be made new. Somebody say new. New, don't you want it? New in your attitude of your minds. Isn't that amazing? When God changes you, He changes your attitude. When God changes you, really changes you. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is exactly what it looks like when a person is truly born again. If a person, listen to me and hear me good, all of Facebook land, everybody watching, everybody here today. If a person comes to Jesus Christ and there is not a change that takes place in their heart, they have not come in contact with the same Jesus Christ that died on Golgotha's hill. Because when you come in contact with Him, brothers and sisters, it is obvious that the old is gone. The new is here. The creativity of change. Secondly, I want you to see the cost of change. Luke 14, 28. I guess it's talking more about a building than anything. But he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. He says, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? I mean, if it's going to cost a hundred grand and you got a thousand, you better find a banker somewhere or either a rich uncle. Because it ain't happening. 
You sit down, you count the cost of what it's going to be. There's some of us in here, the reason we haven't changed is because we sat down and we counted the cost. And we don't feel like it's worth the cost. Because true change is going to cost you something. One person said, if we don't have enough good stress, then we rust out. If we have too much stress, we burn out. So stress means the state of our mental, emotional, even our physical tension. Jesus faced this criticism and the stress of criticism. He was called a friend of sinners. He was called a blasphemer because of the change that he brought. But thank God that Jesus Christ, through all of that criticism, he had already counted the cost of change. And thank God that he was still willing to bring change to a lost and dying world that was on its way to hell. Yes, it costs to change. Yes, it's going to hurt you to change. Yes, it's going to mess with our tradition to change. But can I tell you, there's a cost to change, but there, there's also the cost of not changing. Because if we don't allow ourselves to change, like the little kid that grows from a baby to an adolescent to a teenager to, to a young adult and to an adult and into a senior, the process and growth and change happens. It's the same way in our spiritual lives. Look at Luke 19.44. This is really... It's really a disturbing scripture, to be honest with you. But Jesus tells the, the religious people of his day. He said, they'll dash you to the ground. Look at this. You and the children within your walls. They'll not leave one stall on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You didn't recognize I was bringing change to you. It was a good change. And you refused to change. You, refused, you held to your tradition. And you would not change. You called me a hypocrite. You called me a blasphemer. You accused me because I took the time to do something you never would do. And that's to sit down and eat with a sinner and a leper. And you wouldn't do that. And you called me a sinner for doing it. You didn't recognize that change was there. And he says, because, and this is sad. He said, because you did not change, he says, not only are you going to be dashed to the ground, he says, your children are going to suffer because you refuse to change. Do we not see this across the church in America? Do we not see churches for years and years? They tell us that over 4,000 churches, you think about this, it's heartbreaking. Over 4,000 churches every year are shutting their doors, locking them, can't afford the bills, got to get, get rid of it. Churches that at one point ran hundreds of people. I've heard some sad stories of some that even ran 2,000. And through the years refused to change, held to their tradition, just would not change anything because they did not do that. Guess what happened? Their children suffered because they were unwilling to change. Now Brian, change may make me uncomfortable, but there's one thing that I want to be willing to do. I want to be willing to change for the sake of my children. Whether I like it or not, whether I agree with it or not, I want to be willing to do whatever it takes to get Jesus Christ to all of the world. I want this gospel preached to everybody. I want to reach every corner and crevice of six miles South Carolina. And if it messes with my tradition, then so be it. I'm not just doing it for my tradition. I am doing it for my children. But many have refused to. And because of that, their children left. Their grandchildren left. They found another church down the road that would. That was willing to do something new. Willing to do something different. Instead of the same old, same old. And because of that, those churches lost generations of children. Just lost them. Many of them didn't even go to another church. Some of them went into the world and backslid on God. And now they don't even have anything to do with the church. God help us. The cost of not changing will cost us more than the cost and discomfort of actually doing it. What happens, Pastor, when we get... And this is not just spiritual. This is personal. This is in your everyday life as well. What happens if we don't change? Well, first off, we change something called stagnation. Anybody ever heard of stagnation? You know, we got a creek in our backyard... And that creek constantly floats. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not afraid to reach down there and drink a little bit of it. I'm really not because it's flowing water. But if you get that water and it dams up and it lays there stagnant and there's, there's mosquitoes dead on top of it and muck and mud, I am not drinking that mess. That is stagnant water. It has a foul smell. Come on, somebody. And see, what I'm telling you is so often we get in this rut that we cannot change. And do you know what we do? We get stagnant. We get stagnant in our personal life. We get stagnant in our spiritual life. We get stagnant in our churches. And then all that everybody sees when they walk by us is no life flowing. Oh, God. When God said, I'm going to put something inside of your belly. He said, when I come into you, it's going to be rivers and fountains of living water. It's going to be bubbling. It's going to be alive. And when people walk by and all they see is a dead, stagnant church. When they walk by you on the job and you've gotten stagnant. You don't want to be there anymore. You're a sourpuss. You're all the time. Everybody just, you always look sad. Your lip dragging like you sucked the lemon. Look like you stepped on it. It's all swollen. I mean, what in the world? I mean, people are looking at you thinking, my Lord, what in the world has happened to them? You've gotten stagnant. What happens if you stay in that stagnation? All that people are going to smell is that foul attitude you put off. But when people are willing to change, all of a sudden it's fresh. All of a sudden it's new. It's uncomfortable, but now all of a sudden they're smiling on the job. Why? Because they made a change. Sometimes it may not even be a physical change that we can see on the outside. A lot of times the changes that we need to make are something that is inside of our heart. You can't see it, but I'll tell you this. When I change it here, my attitude's going to change. Even I believe my face will grow brighter and brighter and I'll be more happy. And I'm walking in a powerful anointing whenever I'm willing to change. I refuse. To just sit around and get stagnant, folks. There's another word, and it's called deterioration. That means to disintegrate or wear away. That's what happens so often. Unproductivity. That means not productive. Idle. In other words, we exist, but that's it. We cannot allow our churches to be stagnant. We cannot allow our church to deteriorate. We cannot allow our church... Just to be unproductive. We cannot be the church that just exists to exist. We've got to be the church that is thriving. We've got to be the church that is alive and well. We've got to be the church that is opening up our Bible and saying, God, what is the order for us? What do you want us to do? Because whatever that is, is a church we want to be. But sometimes it costs to change. 1968 is the year. The Swiss are dominating the watch market. Every two out of three watches that are sold, the Swiss are making them. Yet within a decade, ten years, their market share plunged to a mere seven percent of selling all the watches in the world it's all because they clung to the assumption that electronic timepieces you ready they'll never sell we're going to stick to our ticking Swiss watch. There is no way that a smart watch is going to sell. Nobody's going to want it. Nobody's going to buy it. But then all of a sudden Apple came out with one. Samsung came out with one. The Fitbit started coming out with one. And in 2019, Apple Watches jumped 36% to almost 31 million people that bought an Apple Watch for the first time. 31 million people. How in the world did the Swiss who once ruled the market in the 60s, how... In the world, did they die to such a level as they are today? The reason that they died, they lost their cutting edge. Because of their refusal to change. Now, if they would have been smart, they would have kept the old, but they would have brought something new. They would have built on the foundation But they would have started building something different than anybody's ever seen. 
a matter of fact, since they were leading the market, they could have been the one that birthed the digital watch market. It was within their power. They had the money. They had the prestige. All they had to do was produce the product. Oh my God, have mercy. But they failed to do God help us to count the cost of change. I'm telling you, not changing is worse than changing. And then lastly, and I'll leave you with this, 10 more minutes, you've got to have the courage to change. We have faith in God. We have faith in ourselves. We have faith in our churches. We have faith in our members. We have faith in our congregants. Change demands courage for us to lead. And oftentimes when you change, you, you have to stand alone. So you need the courage to hold to your convictions. Listen, for too long, we as people, we as churches... We have waited to see what everybody else is going to do. And if everybody else does it, then we'll jump on the bandwagon. That is not how change works. God has called us not to follow. God has called us to lead the way of change. We don't wait for what the church down the road is doing. What we are going to do this year, 2021, priority is we want to open up the Bible and we want to figure out what God wants us to do as a church. And that is exactly what we're going to build around. That is the ministries that we want. That is what we need to be doing. Whatever God said, whatever God commanded, we're not waiting on another church. We're not waiting on a church growth expert to put out something on his blog to tell us how to grow the church. Let me tell you, we are going to build on the old and birth something new. It's, it may look different. It may never been done before here. It'll be new, but we got to have the courage to do it. Daniel's a change agent. A matter of fact, in Daniel 1.8, you can read it in your Bible. He resolved the purpose in his heart. He would not defile himself with the king's meat. And he changed his diet, which had never been done before. And we came up with something that we call, what, anybody know? Anybody ever done it? It's called the Daniel Fast. Something new. To Daniel, it was old. And I'm sure Daniel was a lot stricter than we were. I remember we did it one time and said we could have, um, what was it, honey, hash, hash browns from the Waffle House? Yeah. You all use that healthy oil back there, you know, the organic stuff. <laughs> Daniel was the change agent. And do you know what happened? Daniel didn't change to be like them. They changed to be like him. He led the way. And then all of a sudden, the Babylonians changed their required diet. Because Daniel had the courage to change and stand his ground. And they saw that because Daniel changed, they thought their food was better. They thought that they would be more healthy eating the king's food. But now they see a change happen. Something they've never done before. And they say, we believe we're going to join your diet. And they end up being better looking than the ones that are eating the king's food. Change was a good thing. There was a man who was new to the AA meetings. He goes to the AA meetings it was called the 12-step meeting. And they give you step by step. He said whenever he got there, he would sit in the room and all he ever did was listen to an older addict that had been addicted to drugs and alcohol and said he had relapsed for the hundredth time after a lifetime of struggle with addiction. This particular young man said that he learned a great lesson by looking at that older person whose physical appearance and his personal story showed him a tale of hardship. And he said to himself, I don't want to be that person. And he said to himself, I don't have to be that person. 
And that day he walked out of that meeting, gave himself to Jesus Christ, and his life was changed forever when he recognized he did not have to be. You see, that's where real change happens. God will give us his power to change. Sometimes change starts with being dissatisfied with the person you are, being dissatisfied with where you are in your life. Somebody said, but pastor, I'm stuck. I want somebody to learn to say today, I don't want to be this person anymore. God, bring change to my life. I want you to even declare, I don't have to be this person anymore. God, bring change to my life. I declare 1 John 4, 4, where he said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in all of the world. If you've got the courage to change, God will bless it when you do it. That's for personal, that's for your business, that's for churches, that's for all of us. Go ahead to the piano. I'm closing. I'm going to close. Susan, look at my, my Lord, I can't believe he's already finished. Change, you know, I'm, I'm, can I ask you older folks something? Anybody want to be a, uh, any volunteers? Anybody, if you're over like, if you're over 60, I got a volunteer? Who, where are you at? Brian, you're not over 60 yet. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> All right, I ain't got no volunteers. All right. Well, I guess we'll just do an a, a overall head shake. Would you agree that as you age, change gets harder? All right, we got a consensus. Yes, it is. And so I learn as I get older that um, I tend to agree with you. But I've also found as I get older, that I can't settle for that. I also understand that even when I don't want to, even when it's uncomfortable, I can't resist change. I've got to be open to change. And sometimes, changes that come in my life, even that God brings into my life. That's right, God. I don't like it. I don't like the change He brings because it changes me. But at the end of the day, I'm learning. I need to learn just embrace change. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It don't matter if you're 80 years old today. Learning to embrace change can be a great thing. There's some people that they refuse to use technology. They complained all the time that they never got to see their granddaughter in California. Mama, let me buy you one of them smart I don't want one of them things. I don't need it. Just give me one of them old flip phones. But mama, you don't understand. If, if, if you get this smartphone, there's this thing on it called FaceTime. And yeah, yeah. And you can call California and you can see Susie all the way in South Carolina. And all of a sudden, Mama's like, I think I want one of these phones. Because she understands, even though she may not like it, she may be dead set against it. But she figures out once she gets this phone, and Mama figures out that there's a thing called Facebook. And you're like, oh my gosh, we should have never got it for her. She won't get off of it. She figures out sometimes change can be a good thing. Embrace change. My Yorkie, on the other hand, hates change. I buy a new rug. She will stand on it. She'll paw it with her paw. She'll roll in it. She'll snip it. And I'm begging God, whatever you do, don't pee on it. My wife just paid $100 for it. Do not. She hates it. But I figured out, she's eight years old, and I figured out that as she ages, she's getting worse. And so now, it can be the same rug. And uh, the same piece of furniture. And I can take the piece of furniture. And I can move it from this spot to that spot. And it absolutely flips her world upside down. Hates it. Hates it. Any kind of. But you know that's the way we've become sometimes. And I'm afraid sometimes spiritually. That we get worse than any other thing in our spiritual religion. I'm, I'm afraid that's where our problem is. Because any little change. It just drives us crazy. But I'm telling you today that God is calling us to a place of change. 
He is calling us to a place we get so comfortable with the old. We embrace the old so much that we forget that there's a God that is wanting to do something new in our family. He is wanting to do something new on our job. He is wanting to do something new in our personal lives. Make a better you. He's wanting to do something in your church that you've never seen before. That is why one guy came up with one of the best prayers you'll ever read. It's called the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things that I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. For you today. For your job. For your family. For for your personal life. For your walk with Christ. For your church. Do you want to grow? Yes, yes. Do you want to change? Because they both go hand in hand. We cannot have one without the other. I'll leave you with this. The early church in Acts was new to everybody. They've never had a church. They've never had an apostle Peter to lead the way. There are four basic things that we talked about for the last week. If we are going to grow, it is imperative that we change, but we change foundational things. The foundation is Jesus. But we make sure that we do the four things, the basic things we talked about last week. The apostles' teaching, that's the Word of God. The breaking of bread, that's communion. The fellowship, that is our unity with one another. And then prayer, that's the real change that we need. Now, Ms. Phyllis, how we incorporate these things may look new and may not look like our traditional ways. But let's not get caught up in what it looks like. Let's just get caught up in the fact that God has called for something new. Because when you think about it, a new patch on an old garment will not work. Neither will us holding to our old ways, our old person, our old self, just like our flesh. And God says, I want to anoint you more than I ever had before. If I hold on to the old flesh, I'll never walk in the new. i got to let it go. God's doing something new in me. Now I can walk in the anointing. I say to every fellow Christian and every fellow member in this building today, We can cling to our tradition and we can hold on to the way it's always been. Or we can say, God, even if it looks different as long as it's foundational and it's on Jesus Christ, we are going to forget about all those things. We're going to let go of the former and we are going to let God do something new. As long as we hold to the old, we're no better than putting a new patch on an old garment and it will do like it does for every other church. It falls apart and it becomes nothing. Until we agree to let God do something. Does anybody want God to do something new in you? Could you stand today? I want to pray over us today. Oh my God, I want to pray a prayer. Listen. 2020 was, was a, was a, oh, oh, oh. I mean, my Lord. It's the worst year I've ever seen in my little 37 years of living. Worst year I've ever had. 2020. And it's not just the worst year I've had. But seeing others that I love, my friends, my family, seeing them hurt, seeing them lose, even loved ones. My grandma right now, COVID, and, I, and Jennifer's grandmother, COVID, struggling in, all the way in hearts, but right now, in a rest home, fighting through it. There's people that are suffering, folks. There's people that are fighting. So there's something in me that says, man, thank God that 2021 is here. But even though it's a new year, if you don't produce a new you, it's going to be the same old, same old. So you're going to start off strong. You're going to start your diet. You're going to start your exercise program. You're going to walk a mile a day. But if you cling to the old and let go of the new, you're going to fall right back into the same rut and you're going to be overeating. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel like you're about to throw up every time you get finished with supper. The new you's gone. 
you got to listen if you're going to change go ahead and make it up in your mind whether it's personal whether it's spiritual make it up in your mind this is the new me I can't take the old 2020 Jimmy in the 2021 quite frankly I don't want to and I don't need to there's some parts of him I don't like God in the name of Jesus Christ from this pulpit all the way to that back door and all the way in this building and our gym everywhere I'm praying that change would come and Father I'm asking you that this change that needs to happen it is not just physical change it's not an external change I'm talking about the change that we need is a change that takes place inside of us so today I submit myself to you from the top of my head to the sole of my feet I release the old and I'm walking in the new take away the old person take away my old ways I build on Jesus Christ for my personal foundation for everyone in this building today that's been trying to build their own way up I'm asking you to let them quit right now in the name of Jesus and realize I need God to do something new in me I'm not taking 2020 with me I'm not taking my old person I'm a new person in Christ Jesus hallelujah the negative's gone positive things are coming I'm going to speak blessing and not cursing I'm going to pray bless me indeed enlarge my territory keep your hand upon me keep me from evil that I may bring you pleasure and not pain Father in the name of Jesus as a church this is not a year of complacency. This is not a year of stagnation, deterioration, and unproductivity. This is a year that Gap Hill Church becomes the church that God has intended for them to be. A church that is not just preaching on Sundays. And traditionally come in the church and going home. But a group of people that understand that they are sacred too. That they're a piece of this church. That they're a part of this church. And everywhere they go, Gap Hill goes with them. They are a witness of Jesus Christ everywhere. Let them understand, Father, in 2021, they are the church. It's more than a one-time meeting greet. It's more than just a prayer. It's more than just a song and a sermon. It is a lifestyle of change. Let us live out the Bible Acts Church that you've called us to become. For that we give you praise and glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to change. I want to change. You want to change? I do too. I want to change. Go ahead, Lisa. God bless you. Sing, Brian. Sing, sing for us.